Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I hear that a lot. I don't care. I'll be gone. You can deal with it. And I just insist on people reflecting on if they really want their family torn apart because they won't think about this now. My guest today is an expert on a topic that most people either don't want to know about or are in denial that they even need to worry about it. That topic is wills and estate planning. Yes, quite a different topic for us on the pod today, which is absolutely fabulous. Anna Hacker is the National Manager of Estate Planning for Australian Unity. She holds a law degree and has considerable experience in the field of elder law, estate planning and succession law. Anna currently manages one of Australia's largest estate planning departments and also assists high net worth clients fulfill their estate planning objectives, so she certainly knows her stuff. Anna also hosts a popular podcast, What Happens When I Die, which explores the legal outcomes of dying. I've been really looking forward to this interview as I have quite a few questions for Anna, as you can well imagine, so let's get stuck in. Anna, it is fabulous to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Question Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and talk. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? What happens when I die? Probably from a legal perspective more than anything. Okay, so from a legal aspect rather than all the other stuff, I guess. So tell me why is this a topic you're passionate about? Look, I'm a wills and estates accredited specialist. All I talk about all day with clients is what happens when they die. I like to use the die word or the death, you know, talk about death. I think that's something that as a society we absolutely have to do more of because it can be a little bit confusing for people if they don't actually realize what you're talking about, particularly when I'm talking about someone dying and their will kicking in. So all I do all day is talk about death, wills, powers of attorney. So what happens in someone's lifetime if they lose capacity? And it's the subject that I love talking about. So it's a natural thing for me to discuss. But you obviously really love what you do and see that it's really important for people to understand this. And I've obviously written a book about death. I'm like you, I think we need to talk about it more. I mean, it must be fascinating, you know, people's kind of reaction to that going, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, the reaction I've had from people is, if I talk about death, I'm like tempting fate. And I'm like, wow, that's just a really interesting concept where people come from. It's the same reaction that lawyers in this space get. So you have people put off doing their wills for years and years and years. It's something that people often say, oh, that's that's on my retirement to-do list. Well, no, I actually think, and this is maybe a little controversial, but I think that people should write their will from the moment they can, which is when you turn 18. So when you're 18, that's when you legally can write a will and legally decide what happens to your estate when you die. And that's really important for people to understand because it's not something that you need to do when you retire. It is, but that's not the first time you should think about it. Unfortunately, people can die at any point. They can die really young. The heartbreak that I have seen for families when young people die and have nothing put in place, no plans, no structure to an estate, 
imagine a young family where that happens and there's no indication of what should happen to someone's estate. I've seen not just families torn apart, but also really the wrong outcomes for particularly young kids where they might have to suddenly be on a title with their mum because of the way the law, the intestacy law works if you don't have a will. So it's something people need to talk about and start doing from the earliest moment. And what do you think the biggest resistance is, like from your experiences that I know from conversations I've had in this space, but what do you see is why do people not do wills? Are they, is it the, you know, they're scared about it, they don't want to bring up the topic, they're freaked out or, you know, they're lazy? I mean, what are, what are the reasons? Probably all of the above. <laughs> One of the most common issues I think is they do think it will tempt fate. Culturally, there's certainly groups of people that I can't actually say the word death because that is really taboo culturally. And that means it's a different way of approaching that discussion. And, you know, we're always aware of that, you know, as, as lawyers in this space, but I think it's not wanting to tempt fate. So I think it's exactly the same reason you find for people not wanting to talk about death. I think it is also, though, it seems really complicated. If you think about your will, you think about, gee, that's something that I only do if I have lots of money or there's some something that's really complex in my life that needs it. No, people have so much more in their estate than they realise. If you have a job and you have super, you probably have insurance associated with that, you'll probably be quite shocked to find out your estate is probably two, dollars $300,000 worth. So people will come to us as lawyers in this area and they'll say, My, it's really simple, I have nothing, and then you on paper start writing down what they have And one, they realised they should have done this a long time ago because there's a lot more money than they realised. But two, at the end of the process, they usually say, that was so much easier than I thought it would be. And it is. It is once you start the process that's getting to them to that point of starting the process is the tough part. And interestingly, you know, having lost a lot of people in my life, like I've lost my parents, my grandparents, the other thing that people don't think about is that there's a lot of things that are special to people that actually don't really necessarily have monetary value. But when you go through that process after someone's passed away and there might be a particular photo or a piece of jewellery that, you know, it might not be a really expensive piece of jewellery, but you're like, I really loved Nana's bangle or whatever and it would mean a lot to me to be able to have that. But then there's this whole shit show <laughs> of someone else saying, well, no, I want that and I want that for my grant, you know, whatever. And so having those kind of conversations and it was interesting my mum had a really horrendous experience with her parents when they passed away because then, you know, her mother had remarried and then there were stepkids. And my mum, there was only two things she wanted from her mother. And one was a photo, a beautiful photo, you know, like 1900s of mum and two things she wanted and she couldn't get either of them because one of her stepsisters was adamant that she was going to have it. And so when my mum was sick for quite a while, knew, knew that she was dying. And so she was incredibly explicit about who was getting what. And she actually gave some of those pieces like a painting or particular jewellery to her cousins or, you know, girlfriends and things that she knew that they wanted or she wanted them to have it. And so she did that before she passed, like in the last sort of, you know, final months. Then she was explicit about with my brothers and sisters, like we sat down, there's four of us, about how we had to divvy everything up. And I think it just made the experience, even though it was incredibly sad, it made it a lot less stressful because having gone through it in other cases where it's incredibly stressful, you know, there's emotions flying, people are stressing out about stuff, people are, you know, hang on to things that probably have got no value and they don't really want it in a normal rational way. But after, you know, dealing with someone's death, you sometimes do become irrational. So what's been your experience with that sort of stuff? 
everything that you're saying is exactly why the critical point of doing a will is not just dealing with your money, but dealing with all of those other things, getting kind of your life admin in, in order when it comes to death and organizing who is going to get what when it comes to jewelry, furniture, other things is such a critical component of that. So people will spend far longer trying to work out who should get their earrings or their bangle than where their money should go. That's the thing that often they probably put off. It's trying to work out how is that going to be distributed. And often they've had an experience similar to yours. Blended families now mean that I think we have a lot more conflict. There's a lot of families, obviously, that are blended that won't have that. But you put death into the mix and those tensions just come up to the surface and people really struggle. They're dealing with grief. They're dealing with so many other things and suddenly to think, no, 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 I should get that necklace. I always wanted it. Mum always said I was going to get it. It is the biggest bone of contention after someone passes away in litigation. So when people are fighting over millions and millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, as I said, people have more money than they think. So there's often more than what they're expecting. It's actually those those sentimental items that people fight over, potentially more. So as lawyers, we say, I'm $400 an hour. You really want me to fight over this? And often they will say, yes, I do want to fight over this. This is so much more important to me than the money. The money actually ends up being the most important thing, but the fights are often over the jewelry and things. So if there's something you specifically must go to a particular person, it has to be in the will. So lawyers will talk about having a separate list and document that might have chattels included. Now, That's really helpful to guide an executor who's the person that deals with your estate as to how you want those sentimental items distributed, but it isn't binding. So if I hear a client talk about there was always an intention that you would get these particular items and there could be some tension, I will always insist on it going in the will because if it's in the separate document, it's not binding. There can be issues in the will. It's binding. That still doesn't mean there won't be issues because suddenly the, the bracelet goes missing or suddenly, oh no, mum gave that to me before she passed away. And you can't do much about that if that happens. So we are finding that people employ strategies like what you're saying your mum did, where they give them away before they pass away. And that's really a good way of doing it. Putting stickers on everything. Everyone gets to go into a house and, and put literally stickers on all the items. We did that with my, uh, my husband's grandmother. I wanted something and I, was, I wasn't even married. We weren't married. And so it was a big controversy over whether I was allowed to have the old set of scales that had come over from Ireland. No one else wanted it, but should I get it or not was the question, I think. But I had my sticker on the set of scales and there's still, it, it is something that I really look at and think about his grandmother still whenever I see that, that beautiful antique set of scales. So there's lots of things that you can do but you need to think about it. You need to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. You can't just put it off. For people listening, Anna, you know, for us that have gone through that, like it's kind of a bit normal. You know, we've, we've gone through the experience and we know the good and the bad. But to people listening that have never done this, they're probably thinking, God, this sounds so, so grotesque, you know, to go into someone's house and put stickers on stuff of shit that you want after they've died. Like it sounds horrendous. But the interesting point, I think, and you just talked about that, about having those scales in your house and that they remind you of her all the time. It's such a beautiful, you know, sentiment. And I think, you know, equally, there's so many things in my life and my house from people that have passed that I do. I think of them all the time. And it's a it's a lovely thing to be able to reflect upon. But being the person that is 
either dying or leaving this stuff, you know, and I think I want to sort of draw that out a bit more from what you've seen about the stress that you leave. Cause some people go, well, stuff that I don't want to do it. I don't want to, you know, I don't care. People can have what they want. I'll be gone anyway. Like, why should I worry about it? And why should I go through this stress now while I'm alive? So what do you say to that? I hear that a lot. I don't care. I'll be gone. You can deal with it. And I just insist on people reflecting on if they really want their family torn apart because they won't think about this now. It's in theory something that people think it won't be that bad. It won't be such a big shit show. But the reality is it can tear families apart. So just trying to get people to understand, okay, you know, we're having a bit of a joke now where we're saying, oh yeah, everyone will fight and the lawyers will win. I mean, that's essentially what people say. Everyone fights, only people that win are the lawyers. And we do win. We make tens of thousands of dollars from litigation in estates. If a family fights about an estate, each party, so let's say it's a brother and sister and they're fighting and we go to a mediation, the cost will be about $30,000 per party. So we're talking about $60,000 probably at least at that point to just try and deal with something that someone probably said, I don't care, they can fight about it. Well, do you really want all of your money going to lawyers? People really don't actually want that. So I think it's having people reflect on what that actually means. Do you really not want them to have Christmas together? Do you really not want them to see each other at all? Because that's what will happen. I've had that discussion with many people After someone's died, though, I've only had one situation where I've had that conversation with the family saying, look, if you do actually litigate this, if you decide to challenge and go to court, you will never have a relationship with these people again. That that will be it. It will be very difficult to turn up at their house for a family gathering and all hell not breaking loose. One person called me the next day to say, actually, you know what, I thought about what you said and I don't want to do it. I'm not even saying that's 1% of people don't proceed. It's like 0.00001%. Most people still go ahead, unfortunately. So if someone could have prevented that from happening beforehand, that's where the discussion has to be had. And having those discussions early, having the discussion about, well, what do you want Let's say it is about the furniture or the jewellery. I'm not saying you're going to have a $60,000 legal bill fighting over jewellery, but what is it that we can do to try to make this easier at the other end? And there's lots of things like letters of wishes. There's amazing resources that people can use to actually provide instructions for executors, for beneficiaries to try and understand more and more about what it is that their intention is. What would they expect people to do? So there's things people can put in place but they have to want to do it and not just put it off and hope someone else will deal with it later. Yeah. And I think that's probably a question, you know, you said it's relatively easy. So someone listening and they're going, okay, I've got to get my shit together. I need to get this organized. What is the easiest, best thing for them to do in terms of, you know, creating a will, doing it really simply if they feel they don't have, you know, complex kind of estate, what's your recommendation there? So if people are looking for a really, really simple option and they don't have a complex estate. And this is the difficulty because a will is what we all talk about. We're talking about a will. That's the end of the process. There's advice before that. So someone can come to me and say, my estate's really simple. And when I look at it, it actually isn't simple because of business or or family trust. I have had people come in and they've owned multiple properties and different trusts and they said, oh, it's really easy. I mean, it wasn't really easy. So I would suggest that 
it is probably a little bit more complicated than people think. The process isn't complicated, but you just need to get advice because the advice is the critical thing when it comes to a will. You can have a will. I'm not recommending going and getting a post office will, but you could go and get a post office will and have a will by the end of, you know, the hour today. Whether that will actually do what you wanted to do is another thing. Now, look, it might sound a bit odd for a lawyer to be saying, hey, look at these online options, but a lot of them have a lot of guidance for very simple estates without trusts and without issues of blended families and without all those complexities that can add a lot of need for advice into it. If someone had really, really straightforward estate plan and, and wishes, then those online options can be the best outcome for them because it's simple. They can You can literally do it in 15 minutes. It's certainly 100 times better than a post office will because it actually guides you can ask questions but just being aware that an advice component of a will is a really really important part of a will so people do think that their estate's really easy even just super I mean that again is probably a whole other topic but super itself that's where a lot of people have a lot of money you know when I talked before about you probably have a couple of hundred thousand dollars in your estate and you don't even realize it that's from super. Your super might not even go into your estate and in your will. So that's something else you need to look at. So just a little bit of advice goes a long way. Mm. And the other thing I think is that people forget if they are listening and go, I've got a will, I don't need to worry about it, is actually you need to update it. And my husband and I, our circumstances have changed quite a bit over the 21 years we've been together. So I think we've done our, redone our will like three or four times and, you know, having stepsons and, you know, we have different complexity with our different estates when we kind of joined together you know we're both on second marriages so it was a little bit complex to start and then things change you know in terms of over time that I was like oh if I pass today and that was a decision I made 10 years ago but actually I wouldn't be happy for that to be ex- executed in the way that we've written it so it needs to be updated so we've updated ours I think yeah four or five times so I think that's a really key point as well that people need to remember absolutely I think that people probably think oh, I've done my will that's it I don't have to look at it again you don't necessarily need to change it every three to four years but you should look at it you should make sure it actually suits your circumstances has something changed Um, relationship changed, relationship of a beneficiary changed? What happens if you don't like the in-law that you suddenly have? You might want to do something there. What happens if you have a new asset? What if you've sold an asset? There's an endless number of questions. I think our page of has any of this happened to you, you might need to update your will is about an A4 page long of issues that might have popped up, but is critical to remember it is not set and forget. It is something you need to update. And it might be that for a first will, it's really simple. And then your last will might be really complicated, but that's because life is complicated, Mm -hmm. but you have people to guide you through that. That, So when I say it's a simple process, it is simple with the right support to get you the right advice. Yeah, it makes sense. Anna, I want to ask, have you seen some really strange things kind of happen in your roles, like in your job? Because I imagine sometimes things would be unique. Absolutely. So obviously for client confidentiality, I can't say the specific things that I have had, but I have definitely, the case law itself is so interesting. When people think about someone being a wills lawyer, they think that's the most boring type of lawyer I can imagine. But I can tell you all I do day in, day out is learn everyone's secrets that I can't tell anyone, but I have a lot of them up here. (laughs) I just find it so fascinating. And the cases have been so interesting where People say things like they want their body to be put out in the forest where animals might eat it. 
oh goodness and so then the executor has to say can I do this like and you can't you can't just put a body in a forest just FYI good to know (laughs) just really interesting types of trusts that actually might sometimes fail for things like pets where there might be trusts and it might be to the pet but you can't kind of really leave it to a pet it has to be to someone else to look after the pet gifts to charities that don't exist, that the litigation around those has been really interesting. That sounds terrible, but it kind of has been because it's all these people fighting for money. There was a case, a charity case, uh, it would be about a decade ago actually now, but the charity didn't exist anymore. So you can imagine then all these charities saying, no, 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 we now are that charity or we're that charity. It was about $10 million. So it was something you would fight about. The legal fees were the whole value of what this charity was meant to get. And in the end, the fight was about the legal fees because they were millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, when we talk about these fights, they can be really costly as well. Any secret families? Oh, that's definitely one I can't specifically say. But in general, yes, um, it happens so much more than people realise. Particularly in litigation, it's come up where there's been other families. I must admit that I have a very cynical view now of, oh, that would never happen to us. Well, no, if you're going to say that, that probably means you have some sort of a secret family hidden somewhere because there's no such thing as a normal family, to be honest. There's always something hidden somewhere, whether it's a secret family, which is a lot more common than people realise, just really odd things where, you know, there might be money going out. I mean, look, unfortunately, things like addictions, gambling, that comes out a lot. As I said, it really is just learning everyone's secrets. And, you know, I say you have to be honest with me because if you don't tell me, I'm not going to be able to make sure that we protect your estate as much as possible. Sometimes there's no way to protect it because of what the situation is. It's almost like you're become a counsellor, you know, like here's this person saying you're the only person in the world that knows all my secrets and you're going to have to like share them with all the people that I know and love on my family because I'm not going to be here. So it's like almost this passing the baton. Well, we don't really do will readings anymore for that reason because sometimes this is quite common, this much to that person on a condition. So that sounds really boring, but often it's something like if they quit smoking or if they get a job. There was actually a case in WA where there was a trust set up and the conditions in the trust included that the ex-nuptial child, so the child that wasn't of the marriage, she couldn't benefit from the trust if she had criminal records or if she had a partner with a criminal record or if she decided to go and join a cult basically. But it was really vague. It, It wasn't a cult. It said something like not a mainstream religion. And so the court said, you can't do that. You can't stop someone's freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. So honestly, most of the judgments you think, yeah, that's probably what I would have done. I would have cut out that condition or done this. So it makes for a really interesting reading. Yeah. What a lovely way to finish up. You know, what happens when I die, Anna? And if they want to listen to more of this sort of stuff, you interview people on your podcast by that name, which is fabulous. So what an interesting conversation for something that people think we're talking about wills and it's dull and boring. But I love the insights you've given. And I think telling people to get out there and either update your will or create a will is probably the key message today, right? The one thing you have to take away from listening to this episode, definitely. Protect your life, your assets and for the things to go to people that you want them to and not create a shit show for everyone that you've left behind. And just have lawyers benefit basically. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Anna, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you. You too. Thank you so much, Michelle. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? 
I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.